Welcome to Props and Hops, a podcast pursuing the best in betting and beer. I'm your host, Matt Landis, and I'm excited today to kick off what we can refer to as the Props and Hops Super Bowl Shuffle, if you will. Plan is for an interview series dropping every weekday these next couple of weeks, featuring some of my favorite people in the gambling community. And for regular viewers or listeners, Suma and Hitman still going to be part of our Tuesday and Thursday shows. There will be some new voices entering the mix on the other days as we approach Super Sunday. And the goal, pretty simple here, looking to connect and learn from each other by looking back on biggest lessons learned and biggest moments we've experienced throughout the course of the season. And also, of course, looking forward to a compelling Super Bowl matchup, as well as a little bit of life beyond Super Bowl Sunday. First up in the Super Bowl shuffle, a friend of the show and a maven in the betting content space, none other than the whale capper, Drew Dinsick. If you're catching this conversation, odds are you already know Drew as an NFL, NBA, and ATP handicapper, analyst with NBC Sports Edge Betting, a co-host of not one but two podcasts, Bet the Edge, as well as the Deep Dive Pod. And last but not least, Drew is also a staple on the acclaimed Matchbook NFL betting show. Drew, couldn't have kicked this off with a more accomplished guest in the space. Thanks for joining today, and welcome back to Props and Hops. Well, thank you, as always, for having me, Matt. It is great to connect with you at the end of what has been a grind of a season, but a season where I've ground out a meaningful profit. So I'm very happy about talking to the NFL and putting a bow on the 2022-2023 campaign. And I'm sure that a good chunk of that profit came with a very nice conference championship Sunday for you. It turns out you were not taking crazy pills when you were wondering what was up with the Chiefs as a clear dog. Both home teams coming through and flying colors for you. And as we think about not just what we witnessed yesterday, but zooming out Mm -hmm. to the season overall, thinking big picture here, Drew, what would you say is the biggest lesson you've learned over the course of this 2022 slash 2023 NFL season? Oh, man. Well, I mean, being flexible about your approach and how the game changes was obviously a pretty important lesson learned. Um, The two years ago, maybe three years ago was the peak of this. You kind of only needed to get the quarterback right, and then you could got you got the game right. Like it was very, very, it was so quarterback centric relative to the handicap that um, you know you really you could literally laugh about running backs don't matter, defenses don't matter. Like that was kind of a a wink, wink, nod, nod joke, but at the same time, like they were so insignificant that they didn't really matter when it came to handicapping. Um, But this year, you know the just the entire nature of the NFL, I think changed Um, defenses running the cover, you know, kind of really leaning into and embracing the cover two uh, style of defense with the safeties dropping and kind of forcing quarterbacks away from being able to get explosive plays, uh, you know, really kind of made the offense a lot more fragile. I think, you know, you, even the best offenses in the NFL, you ask them to cross the street 15 times in order to score a touchdown. Like they're going to have a turnover. They're going to have a, uh, you know, a a set of downs that's not successful at one point and you get a field goal instead of a touchdown. And, uh, and, you know, and I think just in general defense sort of won out for a lot of this year, just the way it was style of defense that we saw. And, you know, I kind of came to the season thinking like, man, I'm excited to see what, offensive minds in the league really come up with to just bust this you know this style of defense and really kind of swing the 
um, you know, the, the momentum back in favor of the offense and the quarterback and the coach mattering, uh, but it never really manifests. I didn't really feel like there was a lot of busters for the cover two that we saw this year. And, you know, even the best quarterbacks in the league at times didn't really succeed exceptionally well. And, um, and so it was, it was pretty interesting to see how much defense and running back running games and just specifically your quarterbacks running game, how much that mattered over the first handful of uh, weeks of the season. Uh, it did start to kind of level off a little bit, I think, as we got later into the season and the cream among the quarterbacks really rose to the, to the top. And, um, and you know, I think in general we saw, uh, you know, quarterback play, particularly in the playoffs, was uh, was sort of a main driver of a lot of the teams succeeding and failing. So, um, yeah, I think ultimately it's, uh, it's sort of kind of come to some little bit of an equilibrium here where you do have to have a good read on all aspects of a given game. Uh, and you still do upweight quarterback and offense, but it's not nearly as much as it was a handful of weeks ago, a handful of years ago. So uh, I think biggest lesson learned was really just being able to identify sort of league-wide macro trends quickly and incorporating that into my handicap like on the fly. Um, there were weeks where I was like, you know, I, years past, I would have been very stubborn believing a guy like Geno Smith could succeed week in, week out. I would have just gone down in flames fading him week, you know, every single week through the first half of the season. And instead it was like, you know what? His skill set matches what is working against this defense that's now prevalent around the league. Let's lean into it. Let's ride some Seahawks for a handful of weeks here. Uh, and I think, uh, you know, similarly with Daniel Jones uh, when, and the Giants, that was a factor. And, you know, there's a lot of kind of anecdotes like that. But, um, yeah, being adaptable to sort of the macro trends in the league was huge this year. And when it comes to being adaptable to macro trends, I know there's a lot over previous years that you may have had to rethink as the first couple months of the season through a lot of experienced betters for a loop. So I'm wondering kind of the flip side to that first question I asked you, anything that you consider perhaps the biggest thing that you thought you knew with a high degree of confidence entering the season, but that you've had to rethink and maybe put on the back burner as we've gotten a bigger sample size on the current era NFL, if you will. Hmm. I can't come up with anything really about the game that uh, stands out to me, but I can tell you from a betting perspective, um, you know, the, the way that I looked at the awards markets, for instance, I always knew that sort of, it's not how you start, it's how you finish. And that, you know, you can have people come out of nowhere uh, and take, take an award down in the last handful of weeks of the season. If they really, you know, if like the Jamar chase kind of the classic example last year against Mac Jones, um, and, you know, so I was kind of aware of that being sort of a, a factor in playing defense on some award positions that I took preseason because, you know, there's as you go into a season and the Eagles are probably a great example. Like I had a ton of confidence that they were going to be playing winning football this regular season, just based on the fact that they had the most talented roster and a very easy schedule. Like that was one plus one equals two. Don't overthink this. The Eagles are going to win games. Well, what do you do with that? Do you go place a Super Bowl future or do you try to attack regular season six, you know, you know, aspects under the auspice of even if they make the playoffs, they're going to have to play some tough quarterbacks on their way to the Super Bowl run, right? Like this, you know, Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers and Matt Stafford, they're going to be in the mix come super, come playoff time. And, uh, you know, what if, uh, you know, you may get the one seed, it's still going to be very tough for you to ultimately realize any kind of a future on a team like the Eagles if you're betting on them succeeding in the postseason. Uh, so just stick to kind of you know regular season ways to try to attack that and so coach of the year was an obvious example 
most wins was a good one. Just win total, alt win total overs, things like that. Um, and coach of the year was one where I was like, I just really didn't see what ended up coming to fruition happening at all. And that was that the entire kind of perception of the Eagles was reset by midseason, right? You think of like, well, coach of the year is going to come to you know, go to the team that surprises and wins the most games above their win total, right? Like, you know, Bears are expected to win four and they win 12. It's obviously going to, you know, Matt Nagy, right? Like that's sort of the old kind of, uh, you know, rule of thumb. But when we got to the middle of the season, the Eagles were the last undefeated team. Everybody just completely reset their priors. And it was like, oh, no, they're they're good. Like, this is a good team now. And as soon as they were kind of power rated at the top, like, you just had to kind of take a look at that and be like, wow, this can only go down. Uh, you know, anything that they do from here on in besides win out is going to hurt them, even if it's just one loss here or there. Uh, and so I needed to be more, uh, you know, kind of, willing to understand what was going on with people's perception of the teams and how that played into the wards in, in the middle of the season. Uh, and, uh, you know, certainly when it came to the Eagles, like the market rating them at or above the likes of the, <laughs> the bills of the chiefs should have been a signal like, Hey, this is uh, this is a local top. Uh, and if it comes down, you know, a guy like Nick Sirianni is going to pay the price because people are going to be like, man, I thought the Eagles were good. I can't believe they just lost to the Saints. Like, man, this team stinks now, I guess. You know, like it, it's it's nonsense. But that's uh, sort of the the recency bias. It, was, it felt like it was even more aggressive than usual this year when it came to some of those awards decisions. Whether it's nonsense or recency bias or whatever you want to call it, I'm just glad that my Doug Peterson 22 to 1 flyer still has life somehow. So maybe that midseason paradigm shift in re anchoring on the Jags when they were kind of bottoming out, suddenly surging to end the season gives him a chance when I'm I'm not sure that he is one of the top three candidates for coach of the year in all honesty, but for him to even be up there right now, I will gladly take it recency bias and all. Drew, I also want to check in with you on um, some of your perhaps highlights and lowlights from a betting standpoint over the arc of the season. Safe to assume probably that your most tilting moment did not come yesterday when you were on the Eagles and Chiefs publicly from the outset of the conference championship betting market. But looking back on the entire season prior to that, uh, probably an easier answer with the way that we feel the pain of tough losses. But how would you describe your most tilting moment of this past season? Mm. Uh, most tilting moment came week three. Um, I got off to a great start weeks one and two. Week three was also going quite well. Or, you know, even before the games got played, like I made some bets, got a bunch of CLV. The biggest tip that came through the, you know, across the wires was... Um, Justin Herbert wasn't going to play for the Chargers against the Jets. And it's like, oh, well, that's an interesting negative because that matters like to the tune of seven points. Like, let's uh, let's go get some Jags. Uh, but I was greedy. Uh, and instead of just playing Jags plus seven, I parlayed Jags money line with under 47, I believe. Uh, and it got absolutely annihilated all week market wide. Jags went, you know, Chargers went to minus two and a half. The total got bet down to 42 and a half. It did not take any kind of preventative measures to capture any of that equity. And then Justin Herbert played <laughs> and there was a surprise rebound in all of those prices. So I really missed my chance to cat, you know, just to, you know, shoot for middles there. 
Um, and the Jaguars played an amazing game of football. They were unstoppable in that game. But in the second half, the Chargers defense was just absolutely useless. They could not come up with a fourth down stop. They couldn't get off the field. At one point, they gave up a 50-yard rush to James Robinson. Uh, and, you know, even then, it's literally like, you know, I'm like, well, the Jags are definitely going to win. But now this is going to go over 47. I'm cooked here. Like, that was that was my whole angle was, you know, the Herbert's not going to play. Jags are going to win. This is going to stay under the total. Like, this is hugely plus EV. Um, and on the final drive of, of the, you know, final drive of offense for the Jags of the game, like, they converted fourth down a couple of times. I feel like Marvin Jones ultimately scores a touchdown with the Chargers defense just completely giving up. Uh, it was a meaningless score. It took the total to 48, and I blew my uh, what was probably my best bet of the season just on paper in terms of CLV that I could have could have grabbed equity on. And, um, you know, that's what I get for being greedy. I can tell by the level of detail <laughs> that that one really stung. It's such an interesting mind game that in the long run, these bad beats and fortunate wins tend to even out. I'm wondering if with anywhere near the level of specificity with you describing that Jags beat, you could describe anything on the other end of the spectrum, perhaps in the long, along the lines of a most fortunate win this season. Yes. Um, Week 18. uh, I had a bunch. Full caveat. I had a bunch of very, very lucky wins this season. I, I, I lost track. I was tracking at one point and I was literally like, this is my most, Lucky season I've ever had betting NFL. This is crazy. Um, and week 18, uh, I was in the, I had a solo lead uh, for the fourth quarter prize, fourth quarter booby prize uh, for the Circa Millions contest, which was a 25K payday. And into week 18, um, there were really only like five guys that could catch me with a good week. So I, I said, guys, five teams that could catch me with a good week. I went three and two, um, you know, two and three. So I only won two. And so, you know, I'm doing the math and I'm looking at it in the afternoon and I'm like going through the, the, you know, who could catch me and take, take the prize. And the only guy that was realistically had a shot to go and five and beat me by a half game. Uh, he needed the chargers plus three to lose. And the Chargers, who did me dirty by defense not playing in week three, came full circle. And um, Chase Daniel comes in for, first of all, turns out that, uh, you know, that for the second time we got a lying liar from from Staley and he ended up playing Justin Herbert for almost the full game. Uh, Is Justin Herbert losing by eight points to the Broncos. They put in losing by 11 points, excuse me, losing by 11 points to the Broncos. They put in Chase Daniels. And at that point, if they don't score, this guy takes beats me by a half point and I lose the uh, the booby prize. Uh, Chase Daniels drives. Not only does he score a touchdown, but he then gets the two point conversion to make it a three point game. That's a push. We ended up splitting. Uh, and uh, I don't think I could think of anything luckier than Chase Daniel coming in in relief and getting a two point, a touchdown and a two-pointer to uh, to give me the split there. So that was, that, that was the luckiest moment for sure. Yeah, as a Chargers fan, I can completely relate to that full spectrum of emotions that you experienced just <laughs> as a better. Glad that they did right by you in the end. And continuing along with the line of questioning, I guess, Drew, of like highlights and lowlights in different realms of this season, want to ask in the betting content space 
specifically where you have done so much good work for so many years at this stage. I know that just like the betting market is always evolving. It seems like from gambling Twitter to other shows, this space, just betting content in and of itself continues to evolve. And not to put anyone on blast or necessarily name any names, but I'll start this off by asking about any lowlights, things that you would like to see less of or perhaps no more of moving forward that we did see quite often over the course of these past few months. Uh, this year, for whatever reason, I took very little exception to what it was out there. I feel like we're already kind of making significant progress in terms of the just the general, the baseline <laughs> quality of conversation. Maybe I just have muted enough people that I don't see the stuff that I don't like anymore. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's tough for me to really think of something that I was especially disappointed in. Um, I guess, uh, the, um, the Simon Hunter pod in the preseason with, uh, with Ross Tucker, with the buying of syndicates and all of that nonsense was, was probably the low light, I would say. But mm -hmm. then we got a we got a great circles off where they broke it down play by play and in a fashion that was extremely funny. So if it, we hadn't gotten the low light, I don't know if I would have gotten the entertainment out of listening to the breakdown. So <laughs> I don't know. There's double edged sword, right? Yeah, just like the Chargers. So yeah, exactly, just like the, the Chargers. Theme. That's right. All right. Well, uh, yeah, the, the reaction show to that Simon Hunter interview, probably one of the highlights. <laughs> but more broadly speaking, if you're to think of betting content highlights being perhaps a new gambling Twitter follow, a specific podcast episode along the lines of what you've already mentioned, uh, a new show overall, anything stand out as you reflect back on the season and think of what you really enjoyed in the betting content space? Man, there's been a lot of good stuff, new stuff this year. A uh, couple of younger groups, uh, two pairs of guys that uh, that have kind of come out with podcasts, one that's more analytically focused, but decent amount of betting uh, stuff was the, uh, the Take the Points podcast. Uh, obviously, the PFF uh, kind of alumni that are working on that have a ton of respect for those guys. Um, the uh, The market-based one that was less consistent in terms of coming out with episodes, but was very good every time it did come out, uh, was like the deep, deep value guys had one that I listened to a bunch and really enjoyed. Um, really just kind of refreshing that there's sort of a next generation of kind of up and comers in the betting space who are analytically focused, who understand the market side of this is, it's just a great, it's a huge relief. Um, you know, I, you, 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 for every kind of success story you see of somebody who's just like a loudmouth tout or, uh, you know, just a, a you know, a, 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 a lovable loser, uh, you know, who's succeeding in this space. It's good to know that there are people who like, who's, who get it and are creating content and are willing to share. So, uh, you know, shout out to, to those guys. And, uh, you know, if, if you don't know who I'm referring to, I can obviously send you the right, right, right direction with Twitter profiles. Cause they're all funny, funny Twitter names. So <laughs> those guys all did well though. Yeah. And when you mentioned take the points, I remember when Arjun Menon and Tage Seth announced that they were launching the podcast right away. I reached out to bring them on this show and we had a chance to connect right before the NFL season kicked off. And it's crazy. I remember being, you know, in my early 20s in college, really into sports. And I thought that I was pretty smart at the time. And talking to them, it's just insane how bright their futures are. I think that Tej has already secured a role working with Eric Eager at Sumer Sports and Arjun, I believe, is a year younger. Um, not far behind at all. Those are two of the sharpest minds in the space. So I can definitely endorse Take the Points alongside you. And I'll have to check in on the other one. I'm the not other one was yet, technically but... it was the Sportfolio Kings. 
Uh, it's a uh, deep value better. And uh, his partner, Judah, who's at throw the damn ball. They were great. Oh yeah. Yeah. Judah had the really big hit recently. Yeah. In 150K parlay, right? <laughs> on that uh, same game parlay. Uh, in what was that? Bucks, uh, Bucks, Cowboys. Perfect. Dead, dead on read on that game. Really well done. Yeah. Good to see that somebody's cashing a same game parlay <laughs> ticket of note, but I'm not sure what the odds will be for same game parlays in the Super Bowl. A lot of people can have some fun, but if we're looking for true edges, Drew, I'm guessing we can move away from the SGPs. And usually when we're talking Super Bowl markets, full game point spread or total, there's not a lot of meat left on the bone after that line has been open for a matter of minutes. But as we talk now, about 24 hours after the Super Bowl market opens, correct me if I'm wrong, I'm pretty sure that your best look on the board right now might be somebody when we're looking at that full game point spread. It is, and I'm in shock. Um, What we saw yesterday in terms of each team who advanced and their ability to be, you know, to, uh, you know, to really match up in a Super Bowl, it looks to me to be being interpreted in backwards manner the way that this market is kind of uh setting up here um and what i mean by that is i I came out of that eagles game congratulations for winning at home against josh johnson and brock purdy with no arm and you know with no ucl and cmc taking the wildcat snaps like well done um i'm glad they won but it was not an impressive win and people are treating that like this is now like a different team than we knew going into that game, which is insane because I came out of that with huge questions about what is going on with Jalen Hurts and his throwing arm. Um, This is now three games in a row since he's come back where he has been wildly off his completion uh, percentage that he showed pre-injury. He was one of the most accurate passers uh, and with a a significant average depth of target, a very challenging uh, profile they were asking him to throw up in Philly, and he was succeeding at a very high level uh, up into the uh, point where he got hurt against the Bears, uh, averaging, what, 3.3% completion percentage over expectation. Uh, EPA per play was in the ballpark of Mahomes. It was just, you know, he was having an MVP-worthy season. And since he's come back, he's had negative completion percentage uh, under expectation uh, every single game. Um, he was unable to connect deep with the guys who were getting, who were beating man, you know, main coverage. I thought yesterday, uh, and then in trying to run out the clock, looked like he may have even aggravated the injury uh, with a pretty hard hit he took in that fourth fourth quarter. So um, I am not sold that. Jalen Hurts is right, and he's going to be able to operate the offense at the level that the market is rating this team. Uh, and that's a problem because Mahomes with two weeks to recover now and, uh, you know, the emergence of Valdez Scantling and presumably, uh, you know, a healthier set of wide receivers coming off of uh, this, you know, coming some coming off of injury, potentially. Um, this chief offense looks like it's getting into the high 20s, low 30s. And if Hertz is unable to really attack down the field where he is able to make the most out of explosive passing plays, then... I don't think the Eagles are keeping up with the Chiefs, and I think the Chiefs ought to be a meaningful favorite here. My Pharaoh is two and a half, and that's where Circa opened, and it is long gone, but you can get plus money on the Chiefs still. And you can get enormous limits, and I don't understand it. I was going to ask when we're looking at the Chiefs as a short dog, how do you delineate the value if you're looking at them plus two or anything in the range of plus 105 to plus 110 on the money line? Yeah, I mean, I think you have to go money line there. Uh, Obviously, two is not as dead as it used to be because of the new rules. Um, 
you have a realistic opportunity for more games to land with a difference of one, particularly with two, you know, you know, for sure, one very heavily analytically minded coach in the, you know, in the Philadelphia Eagles. And then, uh, you know, enough plus EV decision-making and on the part of the, uh, the chiefs that I think, you know, two point conversions are going to come into play in this game, uh, particularly if it goes to overtime. So, uh, certainly a, a one point margin is non-trivial. Um, and I think, uh, you know, that's, it's, it's tough to decision right now at plus money on the money line or taking the, the, uh, the plus two, you can get a lot more down on the plus two at certain places. Um, she's six figures. They're taking six figures on uh, plus two already. Uh, and, uh, only 30 K on the, uh, on the money line. So obviously it's, it's a bigger bet that you're looking for, you know, go with the plus two. Uh, otherwise I'm, I'm fine getting involved with the money line, but, um, yeah, it's you know just something to think about that if we do go to overtime, there's a big incentive for the team with the ball second to go for two instead of just accepting uh, an extra point if they score a, a, a touchdown to answer. So um, that's the only kind of wrinkle I could think of that might matter. We almost got our first look at the new overtime structure last night in the AFC title game. So would be quite the <laughs> dramatic way to end the season if the would first be. time we see this new rule take effect occur on Super Bowl Sunday between two teams that are, you know, perhaps the two best teams in the league. It seems like we got a very fair matchup for the Super Bowl here. Drew, one more question for you on the game itself. I know that props, they're showing up earlier every year. I am seeing some offshores, especially with some pretty decent offerings within a day of the game being known. But that said, there's time for this market to develop. So I don't want to put you on the spot and ask for you know too much detail on prop bets yet. This is a very new, very immature market at this stage. You touched on these teams being analytical and things like two-point conversions. I know you know uh, fourth down conversions or attempts could also be a big storyline in this game. Anything you've started to look at in the way of props that maybe you haven't had a chance to get down on yet, a lot of lines still yet to be posted by various books, but anything that you anticipate quite possibly betting if the price abides when we look at the Super Bowl from a prop betting standpoint. Yeah, I think that fun things to attack are going to largely be um, early success for the scripted portion for the Chiefs. Uh, Chiefs, if you go back to the way that they matched up against this uh, Jonathan Gannon coordinated defense last year, which was eh, obviously not quite as deep, not quite as talented, but a lot of the same bodies, um, you know, they got absolutely uh, just beaten to oblivion in that game. Um, and you know, for what it's worth, Philly was they held in, they they hung in there, they went you know punch for punch for majority of the game but considering how good the Chiefs scripted offense looked yesterday and how many different ways they can really make your life miserable with the uh kind of the stuff Andy Reid dreams up in a two-week uh, time to prepare I think uh Chiefs scoring first uh Chiefs in general kind of getting out to a two-score lead uh Chiefs winning the first quarter first half all of those are going to be fun uh you know ways to to really attack here and I think um you know a lot of it's going to come through the air on Mahomes' arm, but his ability to uh, add first downs with his legs is going to be a factor. So uh, I'm probably going to look for fun ways to attack that kind of our conditional on the Chiefs, uh, you know, scripted portion of the offense being uh, superlative. All right. So Kansas City early and often, and I can say to weave in the hops here to round out props and hops, I will be probably looking to have an appropriate beer lineup, not go overboard, but get into the beer side of things early and often as this game unfolds. 
want to take a moment to weave in the Molinsky minute, a nod to the late great sports betting legend, David Molinsky. And come Super Bowl Sunday, I always recall him letting me know that that was the one football Sunday a year that he would really allow himself to cut loose. There was no slate to prep for that night or the next morning. In fact, thinking back to Super Bowl 52, the Eagles, as well as the Patriots matching up in that one, Dave sent me a picture as that game was kicking off, and it was a can of beer from Great Notion Brewing that I had sent him from a recent trip to Portland. Great brewery for anybody in the Pacific Northwest, and I know they've been expanding a bit recently as well. Um, Accompanied by that picture was a short text that said, game on, and it's just Really cool to know that that was Dave's last Super Bowl. And as the game is kicking off, he was in touch with me talking about beer that we were able to bond over together. So I definitely want on the hoppier side of things to encourage the audience to enjoy life and, of course, do so responsibly. But, Drew, thinking about not just the game itself, but the lifestyle side of things, any go-to drink or food or anything you've got in the works looking to maximize your enjoyment on Super Sunday beyond betting itself? Yeah, so uh, best prop, best hops. Uh, tip I can give you. Um, lately, I've gotten into uh, a California style of uh, IPA. That's a. Um, this is I don't know where this came from. I don't know why it took them so long, but uh, it is just a really, really balanced and good mouthfeel uh, for uh, you know a a, a, a a hop forward, bitter bitter uh, forward type of uh, type of beer. Um, there. There are a number of brews that make really, really good ones. The 805, uh, you know, the Firestone Walker 805 version of the Black Ale is unbelievable. Um, the uh, New Belgium makes one that's pretty outstanding. Sierra Nevada makes one that's pretty outstanding. So, you know, there there are some niche ones that uh, uh, I would, uh, you know, recommend anyone try. But um, definitely try to find a, a Black Ale uh, that seems to be sweeping across uh, the, uh, the craft beer circles lately. You try any of those? Love it. I, I really haven't gone toward any of the darker ales lately. I should. It's winter time. I mean, it's like 50 degrees in Southern California today. It's the kind of winter warmer type of day. So usually if I'm going to something darker, it'll be more along the lines of a stout. So sure, that's, sure. that's quite potent. And I'm not going to be putting away too much volume when it comes to stouts <laughs> on Super Sunday. Um, something still with a nice kick to it, but maybe not the double digit ABV sounds like a good way to go. So I'll do some research and we're spoiled here. I know uh, in the South Bay, you're not too far from Beachwood Brewing, LA Ale Works. Oh, yeah. uh, we're just we're just really spoiled out here in the LA area. So plenty of shopping still to do. Got the shopping list starting to populate both from a betting standpoint uh, as well as the Super Sunday beer lineup standpoint. I think we can safely say. Yeah, the f- best of the ones I've tried, if you're look- interested in the Black IPA, look up, look, try to find uh, the Scorpion Black IPA. That one is just, it's out of this world good. Uh, I was blown away by it. I had it on tap a couple at a random place up in UC Davis, you know, the, the Davis area up in central California uh, and uh, uh, knocked me off my chair. It was great. Nice. Great name too, the Scorpion. I figure even the, the can or bottle art's got to be uh, pretty standout for something like that. Well, Drew, I also want to make sure that to get your take on the Super Bowl closing up the season. We're going to be turning the page to a different pace of life for myself, a lot of football fans and betters out there. Last question for you today. What are you most anticipating this offseason once we close the books on Super Bowl 57? <laughs> I'm just the finish line has never felt closer or more necessary i need a break pretty badly <laughs> that said uh the uh 
uh, it's just a lot of fun, fun, fun stuff coming down soon. Um, going to travel for the Super Bowl out to the desert to reconnect with people, which is going to be more fun than the game itself. Just going to some parties and, you know, meeting, meeting media folks who, you know, haven't seen in a year. Um, March Madness in Vegas is going to be unbelievable. Can't wait for that. They're actually, they're, they're playing games in Vegas this year too. So I might get to see some of the sweet 16 games there, which would be amazing. Um, and, uh, and then, yeah, a handful of other fun. The spring is just going to be awesome. I'm just really excited for uh, travel plans coming up and all this fun stuff we're going to get to do this year. So feels like uh, we're back to kind of normalcy in a lot of ways, and it's going to be a year full of travel and uh, you know hopefully uh, you know some you know I, the time off of uh, of the NFL is going to feel good. Last year I got ground to a pulp. I didn't play well at all in terms of my my betting performance and so i needed the break just for mental health purposes this year it's gone extremely well but uh you know it's it's uh it's time for a reset so excited yeah it's going to be a sprint to the finish line for these next couple of weeks as far as the nfl is concerned but then a a much needed break i i like that term just a reset to get in touch with everything else life has to offer glad to hear you've got some travel lined up but over the course of these next couple weeks for everybody watching for everybody who's going to be listening to this conversation if you want some pretty damn good insight make sure to give drew a follow on twitter at whale underscore capper all kinds of good content queued up leading up to super sunday i can safely assume drew want to thank you so much for hopping back on the show today gonna take it as a homework assignment for myself to research some good local black ipa to give strong consideration to putting in that Super Sunday portfolio. And to everybody else watching and listening, thank you for tuning in. I'll be back tomorrow with Suma for his first look at the Super Bowl matchup, doing some market reading, see if there's any movement on the spread or total or perhaps anything else to keep on the radar. So that will be coming your way on Tuesday, probably early afternoon Pacific time. Want to thank everybody one last time for tuning in, and we will see you again tomorrow here on Props and Hops. Props and hops and props and-